Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. I walk a straight line, shackled and chained. Oh, gruesome Gertie is calling my name. There is no mercy in this penitentiary. Just ask the Hill String Gang, Rango. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Bloody Angola, a podcast 142 years in the making. Complete story of America's bloodiest prison. And I'm Jim Chapman. And I'm Woody Overton. And it's season five, episode five already. Right. Already. Time marches on, right? And and want to say thank you again to all our patron members. You rock. Uh, we couldn't do it without you. And Miss Linda Parker is our newest patron member. And Miss Linda, thank you. And we love and appreciate you. Hey, y'all, if you can't be a patron member, we get that too. Um, we love and appreciate everybody. And please continue to like us and share us and continue to help us grow. And, con- and continue to rate us and and uh, yeah. you know, if you like the show, give us a give us a rating on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen, yeah, Facebook, whatever. Um Leave it really review. helps. Yeah, the reviews definitely help. In the algorithm. Yep. So uh, we've given you a bunch of different stories this year. Our most recent one was the rodeo, which is still going on right. in Angola. Right. Uh, and this story we're about to tell you, we're gonna we're gonna tell you all about the crimes. We're gonna then get into the court uh, proceedings and the incarceration of this guy. His name is Daniel Blank. And uh, these murders took place in what's known as the river parishes of South Louisiana. Um, For those unfamiliar what the river parishes are, they're classified as the Louisiana parishes that divide the Mississippi River. They include Ascension Parish, St. John, St. James Parish, and it's kind of like working your way towards New Orleans. So, 
Before we get into this particular killer's time in Bloody Angola, we're going to tell you about the crimes, and we're going to start off with the victims. And the first one we're going to tell you about is Victor Rossi. Now, Victor Rossi lived in Ascension Parish, Louisiana, and uh, he was 41 years old. What do you right. kind of describe where Ascension Parish is located? Ascension is just east of Baton Rouge and just south of Livingston Parish where we're at. And y'all, when we say parishes for you that aren't in Louisiana, we have parishes and not counties. But, uh, so the parish and county are the same things. Yeah, and uh, he was a small business owner. He owned a very popular mechanic shop uh, there in uh, the town of Gonzales uh, in Ascension Parish, right. which is uh, a community there. Uh, very popular uh, mechanic shop. A lot of the police officers in Ascension Parish got their personal vehicles, and even the the Gonzales Police Department got their vehicles serviced through this mechanic shop. He wasn't super wealthy, but he had done well. He was yeah. he was well off. Um, he was discovered in his home on October 27th of 1996, sadly, by his daughter. He was beaten to death with a baseball bat that belonged to him, and it was found on the scene. That's going to become important. Uh, Police actively worked that case. Uh, Victor Rossi, as as we told you, was well-known. He was well-liked in the community. So, obviously, when when you have an individual... And you have a connection to him, and yeah. the community has a connection to him. Everybody starts banding together. Right. And Gonzalez is really the the central seat, if you will, of Ascension Parish. Yes. Where the sheriff's office is and the courthouse. It's probably the largest city uh, in there, but it's still a, a very tight-knit community. So Absolutely. So they're working it. And, you know, there's no case they're working harder than the Rossi case. It was a shock to the community. Back in those days, murders weren't common right, in Gonzales. No, yeah, no, definitely not. You, you might have got one a year, and right. that was usually, like, drug-related. So as hard as they worked it, there were no leads. There was no evidence whatsoever to point to a specific individual. Right, and and then, you know, this, that's disturbing, right, for that small of a community. But then only five months later, on March 19th, 1997, in the neighboring parish of St. James, uh, the body of Barbara Bourgeois was discovered in her home. Now, Miss Barbara Bourgeois was 58 years old, y'all, and on that day, a relative called police on, I'm sorry, on March the 14th, a, a relative called uh, the police to conduct a welfare check because they hadn't heard from Miss Barbara. Now, yeah, we used to do these all the time. Uh, relatives from out of town would call, call and say, hey, I hadn't heard from Uncle Bobby. Can you ride by there and check on him? So that's what they did. Was it was it common, Woody? For, I mean, typically it was probably nothing. Yeah, yeah. It, well, a lot of times they were dead. Uh, oh, wow. And, and, you know, old elderly people died in a chair. I'll never forget one. We went on. It was the summertime, and you knew there was, there was a dead body because you could smell it from outside. It was a oh, trailer, and man. it was an elderly lady. And so we had to take the front door, and when it did, I almost shot my foot off because uh, a bunch of cats came running out when we kicked the door. Oh, <laughs> Lord. Scared the shit out of me. And then when we got in there, I thought it was the most gruesome homicide I'd ever seen because she was laid back in her chair, and her eyes were, were gone. Like somebody cut them out, yeah. and her ears were all shredded off. And when we got to the uh, autopsy, the coroner said, she have cats? I said, yeah, she had a bunch of them. And then, but, but she was also very disfigured, like from the heat. Yeah. Even though the air conditioner was on, the TV was on, she was still kind of bloated to the point where we went to pick her up, her skin sloughed off. But the coroner said, he said, she have cats? And I said, yeah. He said, well, that's what did all this. Her cats ate her eyes and her ears because they were hungry. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that, that just popped in my head. I don't know why. Jeez. But anyway, so the, the cops show up in Miss Barbara's house. And they found her stabbed to death on the floor in, in uh, her living room. And she had been violently beaten to death with her own vacuum cleaner. And then she was stabbed repeatedly. Now, uh-huh. that's horrible, right? 
Miss Bourgeois was a pillar of the St. James community, which is even smaller y'all than Ascension. And she was an avid volunteer and special education teacher. And, and no one could imagine why someone would kill her so savagely. Um, yeah, but cops do what they do, and they, they work the scene, and evidence found on the scene pointed to a very horrific death in which Miss um, Barbara had fought for hard, hard for her life. And again, just like in Ascension Parish, police were at a loss as a suspect. Then on April 10th, 1997, body of Lillian Philip P. was discovered in Ascension Parish again. So now you got three bodies. Yeah, and uh, in St. James, as you just brought up, you, you know, you talk about murders being rare, even more rare than in the Ascension Parish area. Right, right. St. James, uh, it just didn't happen. I mean, it, you know, you didn't have those. And, and so, especially for someone, as you mentioned, that was such a pillar of the community, this yeah. lady – uh, was just good as gold, right? And Teacher, you know who who kills someone like that? And so stabs them and beats them with their vacuum cleaner. Totally at a loss, and as Woody said, another body gets discovered just twenty one days after that. Uh, Lillian Philippi was seventy one years old, right. found bludgeoned to death with her own trophy. Again, a weapon of opportunity. Now you notice. Uh, in, in the first murder, it was baseball bat that was there. That was there. Now it's a trophy that yeah. was there, and then it was a vacuum cleaner. A vacuum cleaner that was there. Yeah. Uh, so these are weapons of opportunities. And before we go any further, I would imagine Woody is an investigator. You look for for uh, things like that. What yeah. did they use? Yeah, like on uh, Miss Barbara Bourgeois' case, that the first thing you're looking for is. Uh, Knife sets, you know, yeah. If she's been stabbed to death, she's been working on the scene or kitchen drawers to be open. And, uh, oh, yeah, obviously, if there's a knife set and there's one knife missing, you know, you suspect that it could be matched up at, at the autopsy. But yeah, I mean, the vacuum cleaner and all that that shows I doubt the guy carried the knife in, but that shows that he is using whatever he has on hand, literally, yeah, and uh. And, you know, horrific. I mean, he's beating the shit out of them to death, essentially. Uh, Now, that trophy was taken from a bedroom in the house. Her body was discovered in another bedroom. And in this case, the phone wires were cut and the perpetrator killed her, then went through her safe her purse, and then left. There was evidence to point to that. Similarities to the prior cases did include weapons of opportunity, as I mentioned, and that those weapons were left behind. Now, uh, this was a different time. This was the 90s. So DNA was in existence in those things, but it's not what it is now. Very, very infancy stages when really only came around like 1991 and 92 and then had to be proven in court and they did not have it all the ways that they could test today and i can remember in 2000 having a rush letter and walking the da dna to the crime lab myself and it still takes six months to get back yeah and, yeah you know, uh, they just didn't have the capability and uh, they didn't have cameras like they have no, today on every no. street corner. Oh, so, just like the the phone line was cut in uh, Miss Lillian's house, uh, you, you, nobody has nobody has phones anymore. anymore. Right? <laughs> Landlines is what it's called. Right? Yeah, yeah. So the, uh, there's a lot of differences between then and now. Even though it's only been you know 28, 30 years since that time. Now, uh, with two murders so far in a short period, and now you've got a third. Uh, the community obviously is starting to take notice, especially these communities. Mm-hmm. This is not major cities. You're not in New Orleans here, where the you know you hear about murders more frequently. Right. This is this is just crazy weird to these people, and and, and, and so and panic yeah, starts they, to set in. With the first body, yes, Miss Barber's body being a separate parish, you know, certainly different parishes, but then we're back in. Ascension Parish again. So now investigators, you, you got to be like, oh, shit. That's right. And maybe we you know, we got a connection here. Yeah, so gun purchases go up, alarm installs skyrocket, and right. self-defense classes are selling out everywhere. Police 
weren't ready to say it was the same person yet, but they definitely had some suspicions. Then on May 9th, 1997, just 29 days after the discovery of Miss Philippi's body, police in St. John the Baptist. Now, all these all these uh, parishes border each other. Yeah, they're connected. So you're you're working your way south towards New Orleans. You you hit Ascension Parish, then you hit St. James, then you hit, hit St. John. In right. St. John the Baptist, uh, they discovered the bodies of two people, Sam and Luella Akuri, in their home. Right, y'all. And Sam, Mr. Sam was seventy six, and Miss Luella was sixty nine. And again. Uh, when they got there to work it, it, it was a very gruesome crime scene. There was blood everywhere. Again, like in Miss um, uh, Philippi's case, the phone lines were cut, and the murder weapon used was a cane knife, which is y'all, if you've never seen one, it's a very large version of a machete used to cut sugarcane stalks, and it's very sharp. So it's basically got a long handle on it with this big-ass uh, curvature blade on it, you know, to make it easier on the backs when they're cutting down on, on the cane. So police, again, worked, worked the crime scene, and they left no evidence. There was no evidence left from the perpetrator, no fingerprints, no DNA, nothing. And then just five days after the Curie uh, devil murder, police get a call of yet another body. Yeah, so Miss Joan Brock, who who was fifty five years old, uh, police found her body in the front of her house uh, after being drugged out of the front door with her head practically decapitated wow. from her body. Again, phone lines were cut, and the weapon used appeared to be the same one used in the Arcuri case, which yeah. was a, what they call a cane knife. Right. And y'all, that's very, very popular in mm-hmm. in uh, South Louisiana. There's a lot of sugar cane them. farms well, around here. For sugar cane, we used to use them to clear briars and brush and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and they're, and they're no joke. I mean, right. you know, uh, if it's used on a person, it, it's horrible. Right. Um, and also in this case, a safe and vehicle were missing from the home. So this is the first time he took a vehicle mm-hmm. from a home, uh, but a safe again, right. you know, in all these cases, it's robbery is appearing to be the motive. Right. Um, now at this point in time, you've got three separate parishes and we've, we've done uh, an episode on, or yeah, several, a couple episodes on Sean and Vincent Gillis. Right who was a serial killer in Baton Rouge. And one thing that he did that made the case so difficult was he committed crimes in different parishes Um, or he would dump the bodies in in different parishes. Um, That the reason that that makes it more difficult is especially in this time, police didn't, Communicate like they do now. Computers, all that stuff was not what it was now. Facebook was not where it would blow up with with all these, you know, announcements of murders. So police in these neighboring parishes did not realize until they really did some investigating that things were going on in Ascension Parish, St. James, St. John. Um, But with no leads at all, and again, St. John, another smaller parish, uh, police decide to reach out. Some detectives said, man, maybe we need to call like Gonzalez and right. call yeah. Ascension Parish and see and, if they have any unsolved and, cases. And, and they would have been friends uh, uh, like, you know, Landry and all of them and, and Ascension Parish when I work in Livingston. You yeah, you know them. Uh, every once in a while you might work something together. At some point they would just call your buddy over there and say, hey, y'all got any unsolved homicides? Yeah. And they'd be like, yeah. Oh, Tell me about it. Well, the phone lines were cut, and now that a safe was missing, oh shit! Yeah. We had the same thing. Yeah, yeah. and so uh, some astute detectives did reach out, and Ascension Parish detectives stated they had two unsolved murders. And when they started talking about those murders with the detectives, they realized some patterns match: right. robbery and the brutality of right. the murders in particular. 
the phone lines being cut, all those things were the same. And if you notice people, uh, the, all of the victims were older, right? Um, you know, that really struck a red flag because it's, it's not typical. I mean, older folks go home Mm -hmm. and they go to bed they're not, you know, they don't live these high risk lifestyles yeah, and, right. you know, partying all the time. And, and another thing too, uh, a lot of older people, especially back then, didn't, you know, they have collections and stuff or extra cash or whatever. They didn't want to leave it in the bank. No, they wanted it at home when they, where they have access to it. That's right. And and so uh, police at this point are like, oh shit, we we've got a we've got a lot of connections here. Um, St. John police then contacted St. James police who also said, Hey, we've got a unsolved murder here, Barbara bourgeois. And of course those patterns matched as well. So police made the connection. And at this point they knew they had a brutal serial killer on their hands without a doubt. Mm -hmm. And then on July 7th of 1997, just two months, less than two months after the Joan Brock murder, Police were called to a home regarding an attack in Ascension Parish. That's right. And that's crazy, right? I mean, it's not even a month between or since the first body was found. found. And then I, I wonder about bodies that they may have never yeah. found. You know, it, might, it might have been a single person or whatever that, that could have been killed that could have filled these time gaps. But um, go back to it. So the... Mr. Leonce and Joyce Millett, who were both 66 years old, y'all, um, they were attacked while they were sleeping. And the perpetrator forced uh, Mr. Leonce to open the safe, again, a safe where a large amount of cash was taken. So the bad guy then shot Mr. Millett in the face in the bedroom area. And then they shot Miss Millett in the dining room area. First time he's shooting. Right, right, now. right. And I wonder if that was, again, could have been something they found on the scene. But the, um, so, however, both of them survived, y'all, the incident. And it was the first time the, the police had live witnesses who could describe the appearance of the killer. And so, what they did, as we did in so many cases back then, a composite sketch was done. Um, but there was a lack of physical evidence, including fingerprints or DNA, and so it made locating the, the suspect difficult. And police decided to turn to the FBI for help by asking the FBI to come up with a psych, uh, basically psychological profile y'all, of the killer. And that's the behavioral analysis unit that you see on TV. Uh, um so the FBI comes in, or they'll work and they'll look at all the different things in on the profiles that they'll make it fit one way or another. And, and so the profile they came up with said, they said the suspect will have an obvious change in lifestyle due to the amount of money taken off the victims. Like somebody that's normally poor. Now they're blowing money. Right. And the suspect is familiar with and likely from the area where the crimes are taking place. The profile also said the suspect will likely leave town. Now it's, Survivors exist, but for plausible reasons, so as not to raise red flags with family or friends. And they said the suspect is without a doubt a serial killer. And y'all, a serial killer defines um, a person that kills two or more people that unrelated um, times. Yeah. So it's not like you walk into McDonald's and shoot five people, you're a serial killer. No, you, you, doing different crime scenes at different times and, and killing different people. Yeah. And, uh, Woody, let me ask you, you know, when you talk about profiling, it's, it's, it's amazing how the FBI does this. Um, and they don't always get it right. As a matter of fact, in the, in the, um, in the Baton Rouge serial killer case, yeah, they got the, the, um, race wrong, the, the yeah. race wrong. And, and, uh, and that can, you know, some you don't you want to lean on and take in the advice I would imagine of these profilers, but at the same time you don't want to maybe lock into it so much that you totally ignore. You, you know how they they get the profiles? No, they, they go into the prisons and uh, so let's say serial killers, and they'll give them this big questionnaire and say 
you can't can't get in trouble for anything that you answer. And it covers the questions. It's like thousands of questions. And uh, it covers them from the time they can remember as a kid to the time they got arrested for their crimes as an adult. It's just everything, uh, favorite color to this, to you know whatever, whatever, all these different questions. And they take them back to Quantico, and they study them, and they're able to break them down into certain groups. Wow. And said that they were so successful in serial killers, they went back and did it for serial rapists in all the major crime groups. Very interesting. Yeah. And, and and in this case, as you'll see as we move along, they, they were pretty dead on on their profile of this guy. Um, so shortly after receiving the profile from the FBI, uh, the police had a decision to make. You know, anytime you're working a case and, and something like this is so high profile, you have to be careful what you put out there. Right. There's some things you don't want to put out there because you want to save something that only the killer would know, right. maybe. Right. Um, it helps cut out on the crazies that call in. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I'm sure you get those. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and if you'll remember, people, there's a there's a case going on right now with the Idaho serial killer mm-hmm. where uh, – Police had a ton of information, but they did not release it. And it was to the point the public was thinking these guys don't know what they're doing. The whole time they knew what they were doing. They were just very smart about it. They didn't want to tip off the killer. Yes. Um, So this was a similar situation to that. But at some point, you have to say we've got to release some things and get the public's help. Mm. Uh, Basically out of fear of if we don't, uh, well, we might be missing out on um, some information, but more importantly, if if someone gets killed by this person, again, uh, we could have forewarned them. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seen more health issues with the dog's joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do this same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. Now, my dog, Phoebe, is the queen of our house, and I can tell you that her health is extremely important to us. She is a part of our family. I watched the video, y'all, and I was amazed by the things I didn't know that could impact your dog's health. This 20-minute video is packed full of tips that I've already started with my dog, Phoebe. I'm noticing more energy, healthier skin and coat. If you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to badlandsfood.com slash bloodyangola and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D dot com slash bloodyangola. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, so they do. They release the sketch that was made of the uh, of the suspect and the results from the FBI profile, and they even open up a tip line. And as you would imagine, they get a massive response, and I'm sure some of those were from the crazies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've got everything from you know, as a shooter on the grassy knoll to to. Martians to whatever, right? But one of these tips was received from a video poker worker in the River, River Parish area, and that y'all, that's somebody that you know who who um, will work on these machines or collect the money and stuff. And part of the the, the money goes to establishment, part of it goes to the state of Louisiana. So, but the worker stated that there was a regular whose spending habits dramatically increased and looked similar to the composite drawing. 
And during the interview with the worker, the worker stated that the suspect had started wearing expensive jewelry and had just purchased a brand new motorcycle. And, mm. Right. So we just like the profile said. And when asked what the suspect drove prior to the motorcycle, the worker stated it was a pickup truck with a boom in the back to lift engines. That's a big clue. Right, right. That's so a that, huge I mean, clue. You don't see many of those. No. Uh, um, this information was then passed on to the detectives with the Gonzales Police Department, and it caught the eye of a detective, uh, Dow Bren. And Detective Bren actually knew an individual who drove a truck fitting the description by the name of Daniel Blank. And not only did he drive a truck with the boom in the back, which is rare, but he also knew Daniel Blank used to work for a good friend of his who was, guess, Victor Ross, who, who was the first victim, of the, uh, the murder victim in, this, in our story. Uh, that's huge. Yeah. And, uh, and again, we said Gonzalez was a small community. Everybody knows everybody. Right. And, you know, you say it a lot on Real Life Real Crime that, uh, you know, don't hesitate if you think something is important and right. the police are putting the case out there. Don't hesitate to mention it. This video, these these people who worked at these video poker places, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they saw this guy all the time. Right. And had they not called in and mentioned any of that, there's they, no telling how many more. They never known anything. So the people, you know, I joke about the, the crazies that call in, but um, – don't ever feel stupid about your information or whatever. Just call it in no matter how small because you never know what the case is going to break the case. Tip's going to break the case. That's right. So uh, the detective, Dow Bryn, you know, he gets this to the detective actually working the case, which was an individual by the name of Detective Tony. And uh, they start looking into Daniel Blank. Um, Detective Tony proceeds to his last known address, which was in Sorrento. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Sorrento is uh, just north of uh, Gonzales. Just north like, of Gonzales like in the Ascension Parish. Yeah. Yep. Um, and he encounters someone by the name of Dorothy Racher, who is the mother of uh, the suspect's girlfriend, Cynthia Ballard. Uh, Racher tells the officer that Blank did not live there anymore, but indicated she would try to get a message to him. So get this, y'all. About 15 minutes later, Blank calls Mm -hmm. the detective at his office. As soon as he walks in the office, somebody says, you got a call from a guy named Daniel Blank. And, um, and so the officer ad- advises Daniel Blank that he wanted to question him concerning some murders that had occurred in Livingston Parish. And as a matter of fact, we're going to go ahead right now and we're going to play you that phone call in uh, Ascension Parish, right? Yes, and and um, we're gonna we're gonna play you that phone call of Daniel Blank calling, and it, and it's apparent if you ain't figured it out by now that as soon as he left, the mother of the girlfriend right. called him and said the police are looking for you. Right. So. Here's that. Hello? Yeah, uh, this is Daniel Blank calling. Yeah. Somebody was telling me that the detectives were looking for me. Yeah, that's me. I'm Sergeant Tony with the Sheriff's Office. Uh-huh. We work in cases over here. Uh-huh. And your name came up in it. Okay. There's some elderly people that's been murdered, and one of these people you used to work for, Mr. Brock. I worked for him many years ago. Well, his wife was murdered, and she's one of these elderly people, too. Now, you just heard in that clip, Daniel admit not only uh, that he had known one of the murder victims, but that he had also come into a lot of money. The detectives were support, you know, at this point, they're believing this guy is not only a hot suspect, 
he's likely the guy that did it. Yeah. So, well, now they're gonna they gotta stay focused on him until they can prove it or disprove it, right? Daniel Blank he agrees to come and meet with the officer on the following weekend and to bring proof of his gambling winnings. Uh, Blank apparently returned to Louisiana from Texas, where he, he he was living at this point, and left documentations concerning his winnings at the casino with Miss Reacher, his girlfriend's mother. Uh, the detective, Detective Tony, collects those documents, and he conducts a background check uh, on Daniel Blank to determine whether his income could support his gambling activity at the various casinos. So get this, y'all. When you put that card inside of the uh, uh, machine to get your points, which you don't realize is going on, or some of you may, but it's tracking your winnings and your losses. And this was where they did something really smart. Um. They issued subpoenas to these local gambling establishments, and it showed that Blank had a run total, had run a total of $269,000 at three casinos. He cashed out a total of $220,216. So he had a a net loss of almost $50,000. Managers at the Treasure Chest Casino. Uh, indicated that based on Blank's wagering history, he had a player profile of a corporate executive with an annual earning of over $200,000. Wow. So that's how casinos can actually break this yeah. stuff down and, and try to figure out what you do for a living. It's, it's amazing. Um, how, yeah, how many rooms to comp you or buffets or whatever. That, that's right. Keep you playing. And they know if you're winning or losing. Yeah. So, um, you know, to contrast that with what reality was of Daniel Blank, which is something these police did, the Louisiana Department of Labor records revealed that Blank had no reported earnings for 1997 and annual earnings of only $13,767. Lost what, four times that amount? (laughs) Yeah, and $5,410 in 1995. So... Uh, Department of Motor Vehicle Records said that uh, Bellard and Blank had purchased a pickup truck, him and his girlfriend, a station wagon, a motorcycle, and a utility trailer in 1997. You got no job. And you got no job. job. That's right. And the task force also learned that on July 15th of 1997, Blank had purchased a mobile home uh, for $22,000 in Onalaska, Texas. And so, you know, Detective Tony has all this information. He calls uh, Blank again, and he says, look, man, you need to meet with me and kind of, you know, we can go over this stuff and see where you're getting this money is the way he kind of, you know, tried to spin that. Um, Blank says, okay, I'm coming down this weekend. Never shows. Never shows up. So, um so police at this point they know um, that that they're dealing with somebody who is ninety nine point nine percent the killer of they, these. They, they definitely can't get off of them now. That's they, right. The, the the more they go, the more information they get, the, the makes it look worse for Blaine. Yeah. So they they start digging into his background. They start trying to connect some dots. Right. So y'all. And the police were able to connect Daniel Blank to every one of the murder victims. Um, you know, listen, listen to the connections that they made. Uh, Victor Rossi, Blank worked for him, right? Miss Joan Brock, Blank worked for her husband. Barbara Bourgeois, lived, Blank lived close to, to her for a time. Miss um, Lillian Philip P. had actually bought auto parts from her husband. Uh, the Curie's girlfriend's employer was right across the street from where they lived. Mm. Right? They also knew robbery was the primary motive, and Daniel Blank had a bad-ass gambling addiction. 
Well, he sure did. And so if you're an investigator at this point, what are you, what are you thinking? Um, I'm riding and keep digging, keep digging to, yeah, I definitely think it's him, but keep digging and digging and digging so you can get that probable cause because uh, um, it's murder. Yes. And so police uh, eventually, you know, they're, the issue they're running into is he's in Texas. They're in Louisiana. Right. And you you know, you have to have the problem in all of these cases is they had no physical evidence. Right. So technically, all they had to go on was a ton of circumstantial stuff, and they couldn't force Daniel Blank to meet with them. Right. Let me interject real quick. So, look, I heard it told in a murder trial like this on, on the types of evidence we're talking about. If you're standing outside and the clouds darken and – it's cold, and you see snowflakes actually coming down. Uh, you see it, and you feel, and they land on your head, they land on your face. Um, you know that's direct evidence, right? Now, if you're inside and you're getting ready to go to bed, and you look out the window, and the, there's no snow on the ground, it's, it's dry, but it's cold, and the same clouds are there. And you go upstairs and you take a nap. And you come back down and you look out the window, and then you know yards white, six inches of snow. Right? Yep. You reasonably can assume that it snowed. You right. didn't see it directly, but you that reasonably you can assume, and that's what's going on with Blaine. Uh, they got all this. Yeah. Hey, we were taking a nap, but look at all this evidence. Yeah. That, yeah. Uh, um, that t- yeah, they didn't have that direct. They didn't see him do it. They don't have the DNA or whatever yet, but they all everything points towards them. Everything's pointing that way. And after he kind of stood him up and did not show up when he said he would to talk about all this, uh, the detective said, well, we're going to go to him. Absolutely. That's so they knew where he lived in, in what was now on Alaska, Texas. And so Detective Tony, accompanied by members of the task force, including Officer Bren, Lieutenant Benny DeLon, Detective Todd Email, and FBI Agent David Sparks, proceed to Onalaska to interview him. And they were armed with search warrants for both his home and his business. He had a business there. So the task force encounters him on November 13th of 1997 when they arrived at his place of business. He had a business called Daniel's Automotive, and he readily agreed to accompany these officers to the Onalaska courthouse. And so for the next 12 hours, Detective Tony and other members of this task force questioned Daniel Blank first about his spending habits and later about his participation in the murders. Now, in the interview, they were hammering him, absolutely hammering him on money. That's obviously um, where they felt like they had a really strong case. Remember, we told you they went back through his background. They tracked his gambling spending. He was $50,000 in the hole, yet he was driving uh, a car in Texas that he paid $20,000 cash for. Uh, he paid like $20,000 for his trailer that he was living in there, uh, all cash. And he furnished it with like $1,000 worth of furniture. And they knew as a blue collar mechanic, uh, he was making in the neighborhood of about 40000 a year, even if he was getting paid cash. Well, Daniel, um, Daniel Blank was trying to explain this away by saying these were gambling winnings. This right, is right. where are you getting this cash? Oh, I went in at the yeah, casino. What they're doing is they're locking him into his statements. I mean, it, uh, well, they would ask him a question about it, and, and he, oh, I wanted the casino, right? That's your story, right? So you lock him into it, and then you come back a circle back around and do what they're about to do. Yeah. So, uh, so they kind of lay it out there, and they say, look, we. We've been tracking this, you know. We know how much you've won and lost at the casino. You're in the whole fifty thousand dollars, Daniel, and you didn't make by five grand last right. year. Um, and you can see in this interrogation that he's just—it's pressure, man. This guy's feeling a lot of pressure, and and these these uh, detectives are really astute at interrogation. So they ask him at some point they, if he would agree to take a polygraph, and they. They do see three separate polygraphs, 
and Daniel Blank fails everyone with flying colors. Yeah, so we're talking about um, they probably did three different ones on because of the amount of victims, and there's usually three questions that are directly related to the the, the victims. Uh, uh, instead, they don't, they don't say, "Did you kill Miss Barbara?" You never do that because that's an emotion evoking term. You'd say something like. You know, did you know Miss Barbara Bourgeois? Uh, uh, you can get them to say yeah and say, have you ever harmed Miss Barbara Bourgeois? You know, defining that as you know, everything from punching her in the mouth to, to beating her with a vacuum cleaner and then get them to say no. But the question on the test would simply be, have you ever harmed Miss Barbara Bourgeois? And it would come back as deception indicated, which they're saying he took three separate tests. I would, I would assume that they're on three separate issues. And he had deception indicated to, to all of them. Yeah. So, uh, and you have to remember, this is over a 12-hour time period. Right. So they are trying to also emotionally connect with Daniel Blank. Yeah. Um, the polygraph is, is just an interrogation tool. Yeah. And, and it's, it's not like, even admissible. It, well, it is if both sides agree to it, which they're never going to do. But they, you use it. In the right hands, you use it to break a person down. I, yeah. I've t- had people sitting in the chair all cocky and confident. And by the time I got done, they were slouched down, almost crying. Yeah. And, and when I tell them that they fail. And, uh, yeah. So that's it's strictly, you're right, that throughout this whole 12 hours, they're making personal connections and breaking them down breaking them down, hammering them to get to get the juice. And to tell you some interesting uh, interrogation techniques that Woody can kind of back up here uh, with some firsthand evidence, when they when they first got to the room, this interrogation room, and it's just like you pictured on TV, it's a big table, um, and there's two detectives and Daniel Blank. And initially, when they walk in the room, Daniel Blank is sitting across from one of the detectives. So the detectives say, will you sit here? And they pointed to the end of the table and had Daniel Blank sit there. And the detective explained that you never want anything between you and the guy you're interrogating. Um, You can't. It's almost uh, a barrier. As you're doing that and as interrogation goes on, the connection goes on, you close that distance. I close this distance with the person that you're interrogating. And you may have to put your hand on their knee and, and get closer. And some of them you got to cry with, and some of them you got to pray with. And some of it's just everybody's different. But yeah, I would always close that gap and make that personal connection because even a hard ass, if they believe that you're maybe trying to save their life or whatever, and you get on them, and they just, most people want to unburden. Mm-hmm. And you just got to get in there and get it yeah so he and that's just what these detectives did in the in the detective that was actually leading the interrogation he noticed that every time he brought up daniel blank's mother daniel blank would emotionally interact with that he, he would get upset um his daniel blank's mother had passed away three years before uh this interrogation and they knew that and so he brought Daniel Blank's mother up intentionally um, to see if he could get a reaction. He noticed it would kind of break Daniel down every time he did that. So he did something very interesting in this interrogation and that he turned to him and he said, you know, your your mother would want you to admit Mm -hmm. that you did wrong and take responsibility, Daniel. That's what she taught you to do. And he's literally y'all putting his hand on Daniel Mm -hmm. Blank's shoulder as if he's his friend. Right. And he's saying, you know, she would want you to do this. And it, it is the most bizarre thing. You can literally see him break. It's like physical connection. And, and Almost like he was having a heart mom, attack. Right, using a mom against him. So he does. He he breaks. And, um, and he confesses to these killings. And, and uh, we'll get into those in the next episode as we as we go through the trial and and the the aftermath of that but because he does give some details that we have um but he he confesses to these these killings and uh he confesses to every one of them eventually over time the detectives then you know formally arrest him 
and they bring him back to Louisiana. And we have a new uh, a uh, article that we're going to read you. Uh, what he's going to read you from the New York Times that is dated November seventeenth, nineteen ninety seven, and it contains some details that we definitely didn't want to miss. So, what he's going to read right. you that article. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get sixteen ounce packs of flavorful Angus ninety percent lean ground sirloin for four ninety nine each with a digital coupon. Then buy two get two free on twelve packs of delicious Coca Cola, Pepsi, or Seven Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And again, y'all, the now and with his confessions, he's you're outside and you get to see the snow, right? Not yeah, only did he, that's he right. Look like it was about to snow, it's actually snowing. It's a blizzard. So this... New York Times is titled Mechanic Held in Series of Killings. Police in Louisiana say gambling habit motivated the suspect. November 17, 1997. So basically a year after the first murder, or, or almost a year after the first murder. So it says, at the Airline Motors lunch counter in Sugarcane Country, a rifle shot away from the muddy churn of the Mississippi River, the talk about Daniel J. Blaine is as straightforward as the food served here. He was a gifted mechanic, a quiet customer with deep blue eyes, a family man who drank his coffee black. But last week, Mr. Blank was jailed and arrested on three charges of first-degree murder. The local authorities said he had confessed to six murders, including a double bludgeoning of an elderly couple just across the street from the diner. His arrest was a big event in a town that often goes a year without a killing. And started the memory of a waitress, Gloria Vicknair. Only a few months ago, Mr. Blank, the son of a sugar refinery worker, emerged from the video poker stall in the back of the restaurant and asked her to change two crisp $100 bills. A lot of money for a man who usually order only black coffee. Ms. Vicknair said she made the change but thought nothing of it. They say it's always the quiet ones that will surprise you. He was extra quiet, she said, after the arrest was announced. Of course, I was lucky. He went after wealthy people. I worked for a living, thank God. A quest for the big win and a lust for a piece of the American dream, the police said, was what drove Mr. Blank to kill six elderly residents within 20 miles of his family's home in the River Parishes. A waterbound stretch of chemical plants and sugar cane between New Orleans and Baton Rouge. Most of the dead were elderly. Most were found in their homes with their pockets turned inside out, and nearly all had at least a nodding acquaintance with Mr. Blank. One couple survived being beaten and shot. Leonce Millich Jr. and his wife Joyce, both 66, of Gonzalez. The authorities said Mr. Blank had killed to feed a gambling habit. He favored slot machines and video poker, acquaintance said, and visited many different gambling parlors. Toward the end of his suspected string of killings, Sheriff Wayne Jones of St. John the Baptist Pair said it became apparent that Mr. Blank was either on an extraordinary lucky streak or was up to no good. Authorities estimate that he had stolen as much as 200000 much of which he was believed to have squandered at the casinos. He was without a question a gambling addict, Sheriff Jones Attic, uh, Sheriff Jones said. I guess you could say his income didn't quite correspond with his lifestyle. <laughs> he has confessed to these murders, the authorities said, which occurred between October 1996 and June 1997. Victor Rossi, 41, of St. Amont, Barbara Bourgeois, 58, of Paulina, Lillian Philippe, 71, of Gonzalez, Sam McCurie, 76, and his wife, Luella, 69, of Laplace, and Joan Brock, 55, of Laplace. Mr. Blank is to be arraigned in Laplace on Monday. The police have given little information about the case, saying only that a tip had led to the arrest, but their relief is obvious. It was the first homicide we ever, we experienced since 1986, Bill Landry, the Gonzalez said. Wow. Right? And I actually know him. He's a good dude. Uh, we weren't prepared. We had to retrain ourselves. His office handled three of the cases, one murder in April and a double murder attempt in July. Acquaintances and family members said that since the killings began 
late last year, Mr. Blank had lived at a notch or two above transient status, making three moves in the river parishes and then moving in this summer to a small resort town in eastern Texas. Mr. Blank was taken to custody in on Alaska, Texas on Friday, about four months after he reportedly tried to buy a four-bay automobile repair shop there for 65000 in cash. During this time, Mr. Blank periodically appeared at his boyhood home, a jumble of trailers and frame structures in Paulina, west of Laplace, to report on his new fortune. Mm. Once Mr. Blank, known as Bone to his family, wheeled into the dusty yard on a shiny red Suzuki motorcycle. On two other occasions, he arrived with huge cardboard copies of checks from casinos in nearby Kenner and Baton Rouge. Checks payable to Daniel Blank totaled $33,000. Daniel went to casinos pretty often, said Mr. Blank's sister, Sally Blank, a 34-year-old cosmetology student and one of eight siblings. He said he won big, and he showed us the papers to prove it. He told us they took his picture at the casino. Sally Blank said the family had taken her brother at his word and had been shocked by his arrest. Her brother had been in trouble before, Miss Blank said, but not since he was a teenager. He burned down a building when he was a teenager and had to go to reform school, Miss Blank said. But a lot of teenagers get in trouble. I don't think he did it, at least not all alone, not all by himself. Mr. Blank had apparently been living quietly in on Alaska, a small town a few hours from Houston, in a double-wide trailer with his wife, Cindy, and their four children. He was working as a mechanic out of a former muffler shop he leased from Don Evans, a retiree in Alaska. What happened was the mayor referred him to me, said he was looking to buy a piece of property, Mr. Evans said. I leased him the shop, although he did offer to buy it, said he paid me 65000 in cash. That kind of scared me, Mr. Evans said. I refused. Mr. Evans said he was later told by his 12-year-old daughter, a friend of Mr. Blank's 12-year-old daughter, that Mr. Blank had made a fortune playing video poker machines. To Mr. Evans, Mr. Blank was an expert mechanic. I've been at this for 35 years, Mr. Evans said, and just from talking to him, I knew he must have been born and raised a mechanic. That boy knew transmissions inside and out, and I don't know about all the gambling nonsense. It seemed to me he was interested in being successful in business and living in a way he had never been able to as a kid. Well, the problem was, Mr. Evans said, Mr. Blank nearly broke when the Louisiana and Texas authorities surrounded his trailer on Friday. Among the items recovered, according to the news accounts from Texas, was a cane-cutting knife, apparently smeared with blood and hair. Uh-oh. Right? Mr. Evans locked the repair shop after Mr. Blank's arrest. As he went through the jumbled contents of the office, he said he came across the latest bank statements of Daniel's Automotive. He had $123 in it and 11 cars in a lot waiting to be repaired, Mr. Evans said. Thank God they arrested him, Mr. Evans said. I tell you what, I think he was just about ready to do it again. Yeah. Hell, and hell, hell of an article. He was running running low on money, brother. And, yeah, I yeah. thought that was very well written. Yeah, And really uh, nobody find. reads them better than what he does. Yeah, that was a good find. That was a hell of a, that was you know, a really good piece. Christopher Cooper wrote that, y'all. Shout out to you. Yeah, shout out to him. And, and uh, we <laughs> – we're not even uh, scratching the surface, scratching the surface yeah. of what you're going to hear in the in the second uh, episode of this. I don't know how there's not been a movie about uh, Daniel Lynch. People have contacted me over the years about it, and I, I think you and I talked about it before, but this is a bad dude. Man. He's a bad dude, and, and we want to put this out there uh, because we did this before, and and it worked. And, and uh, of course, one of our – Favorite episodes of all time was when the detective oh, yeah. Donald, Donald, Mr. Donald, Donald Duck, Sharp. Duck Sharp came in uh, just a few weeks ago and did an interview with us. If any of the detectives that work closely on this case yeah. would be willing to come on uh, right. Bloody Angola and do an interview with us, we'd love to talk to you. If any of y'all yeah. know these detectives, yeah, uh, reach out to them and, and tell them we'd uh, love to uh, talk Peter to them about is, it. Is deceased now, but so you're talking about. 2017 over 25 plus years ago. Yeah. yeah yeah but yeah yeah absolutely if you want to, uh if you want to you know reach out to us we'd love to talk to you love to talk to you and uh and stay tuned because next week we're going to get into the the you know immediately following the arrest and and there's some interesting things we haven't told you yet right. that are going to make you say hmm mm-hmm. 
Uh, so look for that. Uh, thank you to all the patrons, as we yes. said at the beginning. Uh, please rate, comment, subscribe, yeah, and leave a review. Leave a review and follow us on on uh, your favorite network as we work to spread the word. Yes, indeed. And until next time, I'm Jim Chapman. Um, what do you ever talk? Your host of Bloody and Goa, a podcast 142 years in the making. Complete story of America's bloodiest prison. Peace. I walk a straight line, shackled and chained. Oh, gruesome Gertie is calling my name. There is no mercy in this penitentiary. Just ask the Hill String Gang, Rango. of being upsold at gyms my guy you're currently a base member for 90 dollars more i can upgrade you to our shred membership for 130 more you'll be a swole member and for just 300 more you'll reach sweat platinum at planet fitness you'll get energy without the upsell never pushy always free fitness training and equipment for every workout it's fitness that fits your budget join planet fitness for just one dollar down and ten dollars a month cancel anytime deal ends friday may 10th see home club for details